This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. Welcome to the podcast Becoming Her. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I know you, but our listeners don't. So who are you? I am January, and I live in Bozeman. Awesome. Yeah. What do you do, January? Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I run our uh, irrigation business. Nice. With your so, husband. Yes. Awesome. Um, yes. Well, thank you for being here. And yeah, I just usually kind of dive right in with people and just sort of ask them to start sharing their story wherever it makes the most sense for them. So where would you like to start sharing your story? Uh, so as you know, it's really important uh, to me to share my story because I witnessed my father abusing um, several women as a child. And I don't think people always understand or realize how much it impacts children to be in that environment of violence over and over and over again yeah I think there's a lot I've heard a lot of people say like oh well if the violence wasn't directed at them then you know it's better or something along those lines but it's actually just as harmful for kids to witness violence as it is for them to be abused um Right. So an example is um, when I met you in um, to speak and I reached out to my stepmother and um, recounted a story or an uh, instance that I remembered of him abusing her where I was taking my um, Mm -hmm. one and a half year old brother from room to room to protect him to get away from them. And uh, he, I remember him going to punch her and she ducked and he hurt his arm and then she had a black eye and I was telling her about it and she said, oh, I I feel so bad. I thought you were Mm. too young to know. And I think I was like six or seven. Mm. So, you know, and then she left days later, like disappeared um, because she was my stepmom, so she couldn't take me, but she took my half-brother. So right. then from, he was nearly two, and then I didn't see him again till he was, like, 16. So, I mean, she, you know, was fearful, so she went into hiding, which was sad that then we couldn't have that right. relationship. She was doing what she needed to do to survive in the moment, but because of that, she couldn't take you with her, and you were left with this abusive person. Right, which... He never did physically abuse me. Um, he was, of course, like most abusers, like super manipulative. And, mm-hmm. and he was a drug addict um, and alcoholic. So not that that gave him any excuse to sure. be abusive. But part of my story is that he was very abusive to my mom. And... uh they got together when she was, I think, a senior in high school, and um, she, I mean, there was one point where he beat her at a party, mm. and my uncle, who was much smaller than him, my my mom's brother, mm, okay. um, actually put my dad in the hospital. And Big brother coming in, right, protecting his right. sister. And yeah. my dad made this whole story up to his family that he was jumped by like multiple guys or oh, whatever, you sure. know, of right. course. Yeah. So anyways, but um, so my mom did leave him, but then she got in another abusive relationship. And as you know, that led to her being murdered by him. And you were with your mom up until that point, right? No, No. because my dad was incredibly Mm. manipulative and actually was given custody of me. I don't, of course, I was young, so I don't know what he told the judge, but this is just kind of hearsay from my mom's mom. But knowing the patterns of abusers, I'm sure that he had. And seeing him yourself right? seeing what he's capable of. I'm sure he had some really good stories to tell about my mom to get abused or to get custody of me even though he was right 
you know, doing multiple bad things. Sure. He, you know, he stole from businesses he worked for. He, I don't know, he was just all around not a very good person. So, but unfortunately, my mom went to the next next person. Um, I was told she was really heartbroken about losing custody of me, which I think that's a fear of women yes. to leave their abusers. Well, and abusers will use that as a tactic. Like, you you know, you can never leave me because I'll get the kids. Or right. I'll tell, you know, Child Protective Services that you're X, Y, and Z. You've done X, Y, and Z, or you're a terrible parent, and I will take them from you, and you will never see them again, you know? And right. so that's a reason a lot of women in particular won't leave because they don't want to, you know, leave their kids behind. Um, and sometimes it really actually happens yeah I mean this was the early 80s right so I'd like to hope that things had changed a little bit yes you know baby steps right yeah so um yeah so I he had custody of me though I um after my stepmom actually they weren't married but his girlfriend after she left um I just kind of jumped from place to place. I went to my aunt and uncle's and lived with them for a part of the year. I think in first grade, I went to like seven different schools. And that was because he was kind of pawning you yeah, off on other like, people? Yeah, he'd or... like pawn me off. Sure. And then he'd come back and, you know, and then it was all like the manipulation game too of like, I'm your dad and, you know, but it it was so confusing for me, sure. of course. And then in second grade, I went to live with my mom's parents which at this time I mean this was after um, my mom had been killed because I think I was I was like five or six it's 1983 so I was five so um, I lived with them for a year which I always went with them every summer and then my dad came back and got me sure and then when I was nine he called his parents and had them come get me partway through the year. And that was a really scary situation, I guess. He was, uh, I think he was also dealing drugs. Mm. So they had to kind of come, like, under the darkness and park, like, blocks away. And it repeatedly happened where I would have to leave my stuff, Mm. you know? So... Just, like, a lot of transience and instability and trauma. Yeah, you know, and I had... You know, I'm nine, but, like, the favorite stuffed animal or whatever. But it's like, oh, you've got to go. So then I'm leaving again. So then, you know, I basically go to this new place with, as far as I know, not very many clothes. Right. Not well taken care of. I think I had lice. Like, you know, he just... His house was not a place for me to be. Right. But, uh, he was doing lots you know, of he sorted got custody, activities, right? Yeah. So, I understand. Um, I always feel bad when I hear victim blaming of like, why didn't she just leave or whatever? Because I know it's not easy, to right? Leave. Right? This person, your dad, was able to manipulate a lot of different people, yeah. And even when I was 12 at one point, I went, I was gonna go stay with him and maybe move in with him. I think I was like 12-ish, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, however old you are then. And I think I lasted maybe a week, and I wrote a letter to his mom, who I'd been living with for three years, and was like, I mean, because I was listening to All Night, like hiding in my room Mm -hmm. to him beating up another Mm -hmm. woman. And I was like, I can't. And again, the same thing, like once they got my letter, they drove to Butte, got the sheriff, went to his work took me and I left everything, everything behind I had any taken. friends you had made yeah always always yeah it's interesting to to hear just like the timeline of things and how it can all kind of like be backtracked back to this one person sort of creating chaos for so many other people so it's like you know he was kind of this catalyst for your mom mm-hmm. to have been abused so young and to have had her child taken away that it's it follows a very common pattern of her getting into another abusive relationship which took her life and then from that moment on you know from her you know your parents getting together and this this abusive person sort of like 
there's a ripple effect all the way through the rest of your life, especially those younger years of just like pure chaos. Right. Like, so yeah, so she, I know I kind of jump all over, but she, um, yeah, was in this relationship and, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm assuming he was abusive um, before he killed her because I don't think you just go into that. Yeah. Um, But I, so I heard she was really heartbroken that she, because my dad, of course, not only was like, oh, he had custody, but she'd have to do everything she could to get to see me. Right. So everything was a manipulation. I remember seeing her one time. And after talking to the woman who, um, was, you know, kind of my stepmom, she's the one that allowed mm. her to come see me. So, which of course then caused problems for her right. later. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, she just was not, she was feeling bad and her boyfriend, um, what I've heard and I've, I've read when I was, 17, I went to the sheriff who worked on her case, and I read the whole report that he had handwritten out. So um, she was trying to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard she was trying to see me, and he said, if you ever leave me, I will kill you. And he had um, shoelaces in a box, and he went and got them and strangled her and hit her head on the concrete and then he drove from Billings to Lewistown and um, called his buddy whose parents owned the city dump and hit her in the city dump and claimed that she left with a pimp to Mm -hmm. go to Vegas and that she wasn't coming back and And people bought that well that's so my her mom hired a psychic Mm. to try to find her um, I don't know that everyone bought it. Sure. Right? Right. Um, but, uh, you know, so she was, got, so she was missing for a year and they finally found her after a woman came, um, home to her mom after being at a party. And, you know, my, my mom was 24, so everybody's right. younger. I think that her abuser was young, a few years younger than her, but came home from a party and told her mom, like, you know, so-and-so was bragging that they murdered or killed Charlene um, Bacon. And her mom was like, you know, she's missing. We should, we should report Follow this. Up. Yeah, we should absolutely. figure this out. So, you know, it was even to the point where he was. Which is so upsetting that someone would take that as like a point of pride or something to brag about. But I think it speaks to that. Ah, just that like persona of power and control, mm-hmm. right? That like, look at how powerful I am is what that the, that kind of bragging sort of says to me. Right, and then got away with it. Right, for... right. Look how good I am at this. I yeah. can kill somebody in like, you know, this like weird, untouchable, unstoppable sort of high, which is very disturbing. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so so your mom lost her life and then... You know, even before that, you were with your dad. His sort of abusive personality caused a long domino effect of chaos for you. Mm-hmm. So I think we kind of, like, jumping forward again, left off. You're now, like, a preteen, and sort of where do things go from there for you? Right. So as, um, you know, I felt like I had some stability in my life at that time. Of course, looking back... Um, my grandmother had been in an abusive relationship for many, many years with her first husband. And though she didn't ever lay a hand on me, I witnessed her abusing my cousin, um, pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. And... I think we've talked about before that sometimes... I mean, she was in an abusive relationship for 25 years or something where he was holding a gun to her head and that sometimes the person being abused, I don't want to say becomes... Yeah, I mean, well, first, hurt people hurt people. Right. So there's always that piece of it. But also, I think um, people who are being oppressed like that, 
find unhealthy ways to cope with those feelings and sometimes that's like paying that forward where it's like okay so this person is controlling me they're abusing me they're manipulating me they can't fight back so they'll find somebody maybe more vulnerable and by then sort of controlling or abusing that person it gives them some sense of power back which is just a desperate attempt at survival it's a desperate attempt at trying to reclaim some sort of power over their own life it's not okay but I do think it helps explain how these family dynamics like feed into each other right right and at this point she's not in an abusive relationship she's remarried but I mean I think it's just years right of what she had right had gone through and uh, you know I talked to some of my aunts and they also remember some of the girls being abused and some not, not you know. So um, while the physical abuse wasn't there for me, there definitely still was some verbal fat shaming and um, I don't know, intelligence shaming. <laughs> sure. Just different, you know. Um, and that hurts. Right. Oh, God, And yeah. for like a long time, like it's taken me – I finally went to a therapist at like 37, so four years ago. And um, yeah, it's just taken me a long time to realize that I, I am a survivor and right. um, yeah, that I deserve a lot more. So kind of just eliminating toxic people in my life. And my son and my husband are my priority. And, you know, if my other family doesn't like things I have to say or, you know, that I've shut some people out, then that's kind of their problem. <laughs> yeah. That's, I need to heal and yeah. move on. And you have a right to boundaries. Right. You know, and as a, as a kid, you're so vulnerable. And to have someone who's supposed to be taking care of you and supposed to be this unconditional support system be the one to violate your boundaries and to, like, instill this insecurity in you at such an early age, it's, it takes a long time to – to get the upper hand on that kind of damage, you know, and it takes a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Like it is really hard. So, um, not only her abusing me, but I had a family member sexually assault me when I was 15, 16 years old. Um, and this was, are these all family members on your dad's side of the family at this point? Yeah. Or kind of all with his family. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it happened a few times. It um, it really affected me mm-hmm. because it was someone that was really important in my life that was supposed to be this figure that I could trust. Sure. And I think that was just, like, kind of it for everything. I um, had been in, yeah, it must have been 16, you know, a year and a half relationship you're serious when you're like 15, 16 years oh, so old. So in love. And I, um, you know, figured out a way to like break that off. And I just kind of didn't care about anything anymore. And I started drinking and it just kind of progressively got worse. And I had one um, relationship in high school that was supportive and healthy after that but most of the time it was it everything i did was pretty self destructive sure you know i didn't i don't want to say you know i didn't really have a lot of pride in anything i didn't care right i didn't care what happened well and when you're so young and you don't have like the emotional literacy to understand your own experience that trauma is just going to bubble up in a lot of self-destructive ways. I mean, it, that's true for adults, too. As someone mm-hmm. who goes to counseling weekly, let me just say, like, <laughs> it's it's so hard to find words to, like, express yourself and to understand your own behaviors and what makes you tick and why you're doing things and how to do them better and how to, you know, coping strategies, all of that. That's, like, really hard work to do. And then when you're freaking 16, right? you know, and well, you're, it's a lot. And then when I was 18, I, I went to my grandmother and I told her what happened. Mm. And, you know, it was um, blamed on me. Mm. Um, I was told, well, since it wasn't penetration, it wasn't, you know, right. assault or whatever. 
which I know I texted you a couple weeks ago. I was watching uh, Oprah special. Yes, yes, yes. And she said, everyone wants to know if there was penetration, but in, you know, the courts, everything. But she's like, in the end, that's not what matters. It's what happened afterwards. Right. Um, and it does, it affects your life for so long, you know? Right. I mean, I wish I would have went to therapy at 22 or I mean, whenever. most people that right. I talk to are like, why didn't I start this right. ages ago? This is amazing. <laughs> and really hard, but like so helpful. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard too for you to have been hurt by this person that you trust and then go to someone that should be protective or helpful mm-hmm. and then they just reinforce whatever insecurity you're having already you know right then it was like nope you can't talk to that right. person you can't do this right. what message does that send you at 18 i even went to a school a teacher <sighs> and you know they didn't do anything but you know now. it's a small town and it's the late 90s and right. i'm sure they still were probably supposed to report but didn't Ugh. you know i don't know it was gosh probably like February of my senior year. Sure. Maybe everyone was just hoping it would blow over. <laughs> Which it still often gets handled that way. But I do think we have made some strides in that regard in terms of mandatory reporting and taking things, that kind of thing more seriously. I mean, we've right. got a long way to go, but, you know, um, we're, we're making baby steps. I do want to back up too and just, and just kind of um, mention that it's, it's interesting that there's just so much trauma within one family. You know, yeah. So it's your dad, your grandma, your uncle, you know, and then that's being then passed on to your cousins through the abuse that they're experiencing. Right. And it's just like there's. And then. It's a family. You know, within the last year, I was told that my dad also abused at least one of his sisters. And it's like that was really shocking to hear. I, I don't necessarily want to hear any more information about right. what he's done because I just think he's a piece of shit. Right. And so at this point, close. You know, like, yeah. yeah. Close that door. You I get don't, it. You get I'm, it. <laughs> I'm definitely done with the, uh, oh, he's my father, so right. I should love him right. because he gave me whatever. I You know, he's Life? more like just a donor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, you can you can be happy that you exist and not want to have anything to do with your dad at the same time. Right, right. You know, he'd call me in high school and he'd be crying. Oh, I miss you. You're my little girl. And, you know, this whole manipulative game. And it's honestly when he died, it was like such a relief to -hmm. just know I don't have to deal with that. Right. And I have a, a son that doesn't have to deal with that. Right. Because I, I did always say, I, I remember even thinking at like 20, if I ever have children and he treats them the way he treats me, he'll be out. Right. Like lying. But for some reason, I let it continue on. <laughs> because because yeah, because it's complicated. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it's complicated and it sounds like he was very manipulative. And yeah, so, you know... If someone dies, it's very final, and it's like, okay, that's, like, definitive closure. Right. That's – you can move on. There's no risk of that person coming back into your life and messing anything else up. Like, you can just kind of, like, put a stamp on it and get out send it off. It was so many years of, like, oh, he's your dad. You should love him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And even if you didn't feel that way, hearing those messages from other people has to be confusing. Being like, should I feel that way? Yeah. Why don't I feel that oh, way? Well, I guess I'll like, try to feel that way. He never laid hands on me. Right, right. Because, right. you know, the verbal abuse isn't supposed to be. Right. Because that's not as bad. Painful, or, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. So flashing forward again. So high school. And then what has your journey kind of looked like in your adult life since then? So I... um was still pretty destructive in my life. I did get married at 21 um, to a man that was eight years older than me. I think I was looking for something that I never had. Sure. Um, He seemed really mature and put together, but wasn't. (laughs) Sure. Shoot. (laughs) But when you're 21, 28 sounds so old. 29 sounds so old, Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we got divorced five years later, and 
I bought a car on my own in my own name, which was a really big deal. So I felt like my late 20s, I finally started kind of getting things together, Mm -hmm. like figuring things out and growing up and realizing that I didn't have to be what I thought I was. Mm. I think I can't think of the quote exactly right now, but I just went away um, on a women's retreat to Ecuador and it was really powerful and life-changing for me and um, Jackie Norse who was leading the retreat gave us all journals and mine said something to the effect of like I am the two most powerful words that can shape your reality so you know instead of being like I am a victim I am fat right I am stupid I am not outgoing, (laughs) like whatever I had heard for years and years. Like now I'm like, I mean, that really hit home for me when I got that this winter because I was like that. That's what I think I've been working on since my late 20s. But it was so much of that negative talk in my head. Right. And, you know, going to starting therapy four years ago, joining in the silence, speaking at Taste of Haven. All of that has just been like a kind of culmination up to this is this is what I am and I am a survivor, but right. you know, I'm so I'm so many things. Like I'm a right. mom and an adventurer and And awesome. You know, yeah. <laughs> well yeah, and and not just escaping all that negative self talk, but like we find so much of our identities in our family and our heritage and our stories you know what I mean and that's like some fucking heavy family shit to be carrying Mm -hmm. around with you for all of your life you know and to somehow not let that define you and to find who you are outside of that history yeah I mean it's so much people always say oh like breaking the cycle but that's just I really do want to be something I mean I think every every mom is like, I don't want to be like my mom. Right, Unless, you know, because obviously we're all going to make mistakes. Right, right. I'm sure my son will someday be like, I'm not going to do that thing that my parents did or whatever. Right, right. We all need to go through therapy (laughs) to unpack our mommy and daddy issues. That's fine. (laughs) Right. But, um, yeah, I I just want so much more for my child than I had to, to grow up with. It was, you know, and all kids deserve more. And I don't know how to do it, but I just want to help all those kids Mm. in the valley that have been left behind. I know. Because I just think of everything that they've witnessed and gone through. Yeah. And I know how painful it is. Yes. Yep. And how hard it is to break free from that, those stories and that, Mm -hmm. that trauma. Um. I want to back up and ask you about your son too. Was it, were you afraid to have kids or were you like excited to have a kid? I was excited when, um, my son was born. He was super preemie and it was really scary. And I'd been on bed rest for a long time and, um, neither one of us, I mean, we, we both nearly died. So, you know, that, that was a like very traumatic experience and a lot to kind of heal from. But I think when he was three, I spanked him and I felt really, really bad. I mean, he is what brought me to therapy. Mm. I realized that, um, I was kind of starting to go down this road that I didn't want to, you know, we all lose. I mean, kids are hard. Like having yeah. kids is really hard. Don't know if I want to do that. And they all yeah. have their own personalities. Right. But I don't believe in spanking. And when I spanked him, it did not make me feel any better. Sure. And it didn't make him feel any better. Right. And so between that and then I went to a, a doTERRA party and drank a lot of wine. And then drove home, and I was like, and I woke up the next morning, and I was like, how, how did I get here? Mm. Like, and I was like, holy cow, okay. 
So I started reaching out to some people and then I, I was like, I need to go to therapy, which it's actually not the first time I tried therapy. Hmm. I went twice before and I, I think it's interesting, but twice before I went to female, well, the first time I did a dump at MSU, mm. I just call it a dump because they have like that fr- it's free like an therapy in- yeah. or whatever. And then can- they do an intake, which is great, but then that's not even who your therapist is. Then you they match you with someone. Yeah. So at the intake for like an hour, I just dumped all my shit. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I feel better. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I, I <laughs> feel like, ma'am, ma'am, this is the intake. I'm not your counselor. You're like, cool, gotta go. Yeah. And I never went back. Yeah. And I'm sure they were like, holy shit. Where'd that lady go? She's who's been all who's been through all the shit. She should come back. She's got some stuff going on. So um and then I went to a female therapist and I was in a really dark place, like suicidal. And um this was before or no, this was this was after I married my second husband. Um, but I was in a really dark place, and she wanted me to evaluate my career choices and do career counseling. And I was like, okay, so I'm telling you I'm suicidal and the stuff that happened in my past, and we're going to talk about my career. So I didn't go back so to her. So not a good fit. Didn't go back <laughs> to her fit. either okay. because yeah. I don't think we were a good fit. Yeah, yeah. And I... So, like, four years ago, like I said, I was going through this, and I was like, okay, I don't like yelling at my son. I don't like how I'm acting. Um, and then in, the, in those moments, too, it's like you ask yourself, like, well, where is this coming from? Yeah, and I definitely you know? felt like I was like, oh, my gosh, I am turning into yeah. exactly what I don't want to be or, mm-hmm. you know. And I found a therapist, and it was actually a male therapist, and I thought, oh, my gosh. I, I never thought I'd be able to talk to a male therapist and, like, tell him everything, sure. like, about the sexual assault and everything. But he's just a really kind and understanding person, and, like, I don't know. It just worked. I, I didn't think it would well, I think that that's, fit, but. I think that's a really good point, too, because you are not the first guest on the podcast to talk a lot about like therapy and how helpful it's been for them. But it's also important to point out that, like, you know, sometimes you have to try out different people before you find the right fit. So don't quit because like you will find somebody who's a good fit for you, but it might take a few tries. Yeah, I just told someone that I met a woman on the retreat I was on and. You know, I shit some things going on and I was like, you know, you should look at getting a therapist, but don't quit. Right. I mean, if if you don't feel like you're jiving with the right. one you meet, then find another one. Right. Because there are a lot. <laughs> right. Or too that like therapy is often work. Even, oh, yes. You know, it's yes. not always I even find myself and I've been going to the same counselor for like two and a half years. I love her. Right. She's amazing. We're a great fit. But there are weeks where I'm like, I don't want to go. 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 And that's when I'm like, and that probably means I should go. Right. And I always walk away feeling better. But that resistance is not actually because I I don't like it. It's because it's hard to, like, face your own stuff sometimes. Yeah. That's like, uh, I'm doing PT right now, and he made me do a split squat, and I hate him. And I hate him because they're so hard. He's like, you'll thank me later. That I don't want to do them. Right. You know, so I mean, it's not, you know, that they're exactly the same, but it's it's just doing things that are hard. Right. Exactly. We always, we're working on a growth mindset in our house, and Jack will be like, oh, it's too hard. And I'm like, we don't do hard things in this house. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll do it. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that, you know, the... I think the times that you experience the most growth are when you're pushing yourself outside of what is totally comfortable. Or if you get stuck in a rut and you're just doing the same thing and you're feeling the same way, you're never going to feel differently by continuing to do the same thing. Right. You know, and that's hard. That That's hard. It's hard to break those kinds of patterns. But it sounds like you have been able to do that and you yeah. we're really working I mean, towards it. I still yell sometimes. Right, yeah. You're a mom. It's <laughs> because <good. Moms> yell. <laughs> I feel like it happens, right. you know. It's like sometimes you're just like at your point. Right. Um, my son's old enough now that I can, you know, leave him for 30 minutes and go for a walk around the neighborhood. And right. it's like then I can get away. Or, you know, if I'm hiding in my walk-in closet, it's probably a time to 
give me 10 minutes and right right not now go do the ipad or something right right (laughs) because we all need timeouts i think right and when you say said i'm a stay-at-home mom at the beginning of the podcast you're also his teacher because you guys do homeschooling yes we do do yeah so that's like a whole other level of like mom and son time right and it's a lot because um he has dyslexia and dysgraphia and some other things going on. So um, he is labeled special needs. Um, there's some processing things. So it does get to be challenging. It's a lot. You know, I don't have a neurotypical right. child. Um, and some days, I had a really rough day yesterday. And I talked to a speech therapist today. And I think the hard thing with homeschooling is... I do just want to be a mom. Right. Sometimes like. And not a teacher too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's what we need to do right now for him because he was struggling in school. And I know I told you this two years ago. I think I met you and he was struggling. That was like the beginning of all of this. And he was um, kicking and punching um, a lot of it was in reaction to what he thought was being done to him. Sure. Um, and I was scared. You know, I went to therapy and I was like, oh, my gosh. Right. Like, I just felt like there must be this violent gene in my family mm-hmm. that just, like, keeps getting passed on or something. Like, I, I mean, I was just. Right, right. So hard because he is the sweetest boy and he was the sweetest boy before he went to school. But school was really traumatic for him. Right. And his way, now I know, to react was a fight or flight right. instinct. He was just overwhelmed. Right. Totally overwhelmed. And once we removed him, he was still in fight or flight for a while. Like, it took therapy for him. Sure. Um, I even had a professional tell me that, you know, he could have... PTSD from school like that's how traumatic it was for him so but also let me just time out too and say like how beautiful that you well first of all that no it's not a violent gene that's passed on so that's kind of relieving and also that you as a parent are willing to do whatever it takes for your son to make sure that he is happy and healthy and whole and even though you didn't get that and your family history is so different and even the challenges that he has now he still has his parents who have the language and who have the awareness and who have the resources. And a lot of those resources are, is just, you know, is love, you right. know, and safety and stability that you can like do that for him. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's very Thank beautiful. Yeah. 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 So that's where you are I now. I try. So yeah. he's um, all sweet again. Yeah. <laughs> I've met him many times. He's adorable. <laughs> And, and he um, loves my dog, so he's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, we're both really focusing on stepping outside our comfort zone. So when I did the retreat, it was in uh, uh, at the base of Cotopaxi in Ecuador, and I did a ropes course, which was absolutely terrifying for me. Um, though I realized later... Because I was actually, like, paralyzed with fear. Like, I was hugging a pole at the very end. I had, like, one more section to do. And they actually brought the ladder over. Because they're like, she's not going to she's she not gonna make it. it. Yeah. And uh, I, I realized, I think it just dawned on me, like, two weeks ago, that the other time I felt that was when I was assaulted. Because while I was being assaulted, I didn't say or do anything. Sure. I just sat there. Froze. And the second time it happened, I just laid there and pretended I was asleep. Like, if I can just, it, you know, it will stop. Sure. If, if you know, and then I can just ignore it. So, um, yeah, I think it, it, it dawned on me because I never thought I was afraid of heights. And right. I was up there and I'm hugging this pole. But it was almost like those feelings I had before were manifesting again. And now I just feel really free. If, if that makes sense. So like, you must, like, put yourself in a difficult position that, like, forced your body to remember. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's really, yeah. You can get what's called like a body flashback. So it's not like of a memory, but it's like your emotions like coming to the surface in fight, flight, freeze, or appease, like Mm -hmm. those four survival responses. So you had put yourself in a, you know, in what your mind was perceiving as a dangerous situation. I mean, you're like up in the air, you're flying around right, by harnesses and stuff. And so, yeah, sometimes I think putting yourself in that vulnerable position, it's really easy for your body to like, you know, yeah, shit to come back up. And I remember saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, and, which I tell my son he can't say, you know, <laughs> you're like, I'm a hypocrite, <laughs> but I'm like, I can't, and I'm crying, and you know, it's yeah, like 30 feet in the air, and and uh, uh, for some reason, I was leading too, I was like, I'm gonna lead. Um, so Jackie, who was really leading the group, came to me, went by me. And as I'm saying, I can't, you know, she's like, you can. And I don't know. I I did it. Like, I unfroze, and I did it, like, and I finished. And that was, like, probably the best feeling I've had in a long time. I still, I could not wait to get down that ladder. Sure. But, <laughs> but still. It was like, wow, okay, I finished that. So, so back to we're both, my son and I trying to step out our comfort zone. I just think it's so important to challenge yourself. And today I took him to jump time and he went on this high platform. I don't know how high it is. It looks really high. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) He can push himself. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he did the first time. Oh my gosh, he got done and he was so scared. He jumped onto this big mat, like puffy thing. And he was so scared. He like ran to me. And like this like look of terror when he got up and I was like, good job challenging yourself. You don't have to do it again. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it again. Mm. And the third time he did it, I mean, I had like, I was doing something else and I turned around. He's up there a third time and he got done and he's like all smiles. Mm. And it just felt so good to see that because I know that fear. What that feels like. What a cool like an analogy for life right that's wild right. i also think too like um you know therapy and those kinds of things are important but i know for a lot of people healing can come from yeah doing things like kind of out of the box and out of the ordinary and that like push them in new and different ways and get your mind in a different headspace or your body in a different place so you can you know like i was saying like if you're doing the same thing all the time and you get stuck in that space if you want to change then you have to do things differently right like I think it was about seven years ago I started traveling by myself Mm. which was a complete mistake actually I was meeting a friend for her 40th birthday and I booked the wrong resort (laughs) vacation for one and you can't change it I'm like Uh Stella got her group back I guess I don't know happy birthday (laughs) so So I did um spend the $200 to go have one night with her and her friends at the resort. But I I just couldn't. I had already booked something. So, of course, the first night, again, you know, I'm crying. Oh, my gosh. I wasted my family's vacation money. And, and uh, you know, my husband was like, you just got to get out there and do your four days. Like, you got to you got to leave the room and go, go, do, go, go little go bird fly and I like sat on the beach by myself and I met someone else that was there by themselves and you know we would have dinner together and I don't know it was just really it was a really good experience so now I try every three to four years to go by myself somewhere and I have this last trip to Ecuador yes I met for a retreat but I spent two days in Quito by myself went and met for the women's retreat. And then I went to Mindo to the cloud forest by myself for three days. I, you know, I've had people say, that's so weird. Hmm. I don't understand that. Hmm. Why? Especially older generation. Hmm. But it's so freeing to only have to worry about yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and be able to be to... able to get to do whatever you want whenever you want it. Right. How and empowering. Then I don't speak Spanish, though it's on my list sure. of things. To try to communicate, like just... Completely take care of yourself. Right. Feed yourself. Get places. That's really awesome. It's probably like my most favorite thing. And when I'm really like my husband this last time, it was about August. He's like, I think it's time for you to go again. 
Well, because it sounds very like healing for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my little reboot. Yeah. That's awesome. Ready to be a mom again and everything. Yeah. You know? And what a cool thing to model for your kid. You know, I've heard a lot of moms talk about how selfish they feel for doing things for themselves or putting themselves first like ever. And it's like, but that's first of all, really empowering. And second of all, really important as a survivor. Right. Because you can't give what you don't have. And that type of healing requires you to be good to yourself. And three, that you can model what that looks like for your kid and your spouse and your friends. You know, like it's, I don't know. I think that's really cool. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think I've realized in the last year or two, I always thought I was introverted, but I think I'm more of a, or I always thought I was extroverted, but I think I'm more of like a, extroverted introvert like Mm -hmm. I do I can talk to people and be around people but I definitely need time to myself Mm. and there was a point in my life where it was hard for me to leave the house to go to the movies or anything so I mean this was like in my 20s when I was going you know so this is yeah it's like pretty big that I can go do that that I can go do all that I mean it was an accident right right (laughs) But I was like, oh, I can travel by myself. Look at me. Wow. Okay. Well, and I think it's really important, too, to, like, you know, healing takes time. And it's this long, long Mm. journey. And even now, as a mom, you know, you're still learning about how to heal and the things that you can do for yourself and how those things that have happened, you know, 35 years ago are popping up when you're standing in a forest on a Ropes course. You know what I mean? And and that those moments can still give you healing and reflection. Right. It's it's important. Well, and the great thing for me about the retreat, which I had never been on a women's retreat, and I remember the first day she's like, well, we're going to start our day with intention, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to have breakfast, and then we're going to meet, and then we're going to do an activity, and then we're going to meet. And I was thinking, holy shit, this is going to be a lot of work. (laughs) Like, like, I just want to hang out in Ecuador. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go get a drink. Can't we just go to the spa? Right. <laughs> um, but it ended up being really good. You know, we would start out with meditation. I know I need to work on that. I don't totally love meditation. But... It's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and she gave us a journal. So we were writing. And that was actually really good because I haven't written in forever. And... I have I have the intention to write every morning to wake up and mm-hmm. write for five minutes with my coffee. I have not been doing that, but when I do do it, like yesterday, I did it. It's like it's really good and freeing. And you know, my son was like, "What What are you doing?" And you know, I told him, "I'm like just because of his dysgraphia, he can't write yet. We're working on it." But he asked if he could maybe do a talk to text hmm. um, in the morning himself and you know of course because you know I was trying to tell him like sometimes just getting all those thoughts out that yeah. maybe been jumbling in your mind yep to put words to them and put right. it down on paper that you be, can read back to yourself yeah really helpful I think oh that's cool so you know. so yeah you're trying to take all of these practices into your daily life and it sounds like your son is too which is that's really special yeah. right therapy writing traveling, traveling. <laughs> kids yeah, sure. They're healing. Exercise, exercise, yeah. also super important to me for yeah. my healing. But if that's another thing, you know, sometimes my husband will be like, "I think you should go for a run or a walk," and that's I'm saying that in the nicest way. Right, right. For you, like I want you to go <laughs> yeah. get recentered or do the thing. I want you to go take yeah. care of yourself. Is yeah. what that means. But. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you for all all of that sharing and for all of those. I don't know, personal kind of things that you do for yourself. I think it's really helpful for other people to hear like what others need to do for themselves to give them ideas about what they can do for themselves. And so I always like to end the podcast by just asking whoever is on the podcast to if share like one thing, if you could with a survivor who might be listening, like what is one thing you would want them to know or think might be helpful for them to hear? I think... I wondered after my first divorce if I could have a healthy relationship. Mm. I just didn't know Mm -hmm. if it was possible. But it is. I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but my husband and I have a very, very good relationship. And he's very supportive 
I do tease him sometimes that his family seems like the Brady Bunch. I mean, <laughs> I like I don't think it could be like a more kind of perfect set of sure parents, like right. supportive and everything that he grew up with. You know, he also has dyslexia, but they made sure to get him help mm. in the eighties. Which wow, very progressive. Right. Nobody even knew what dyslexia was at that right? point. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I found him because yeah. sometimes I just think I was actually only separated at the time we met and I, I didn't want to be in a relationship. And, you know, then I got divorced and I don't know. We've been married 10 years now and I just, I I mean, I've surprised myself like. I'm not trying to damage the relationships. That's not what I'm looking like for. Like self-sabotage? Yes, or, yeah. sabotage the yeah. relationships I was in. You know, like I wasn't deserving mm. of like being loved mm. in that way. But I don't know. But it, you can. But you can. And you are. Yeah. And it's really nice. And it's really nice being in a relationship with someone that is supportive and not abusive. Right, yeah. I think that's a really hopeful message. I mean, I think the number one thing, which sounds cheesy, but every day he says that I'm beautiful. Mm. Like, every day. And right? <laughs> Definitely there's days when I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you cheese ball. But, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's just it, and and like I he he means it, right, right, right. You know, and, and it's you not can, just like he doesn't just throw it out, right. Like, and people and you, anyone who's listening, can be in that relationship too, and you deserve it. Yes. Yeah. Everyone deserves to be in a loving, healthy relationship, and it's possible. And it's possible. Well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, right. um, if that's it, then. Uh, We'll wrap up and thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, that was really wonderful. I'm feeling amazing <laughs> now. Feeling thank you, good. Therapist January. <laughs> feeling very inspired. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.